Welcome to A Handful of Hope, where we bring you heart-to-heart conversations with heart-centered people. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another edition of A Handful of Hope. I am so happy and grateful to have Creston with us today, who grew up in a working-class town of Hanover, Pennsylvania. After high school, he joined the U.S. Army, where he served four years in an elite airborne recon unit which was previously known as F Foxtrot Company, 75th Rangers. After the Army, Creston attended Oxford University, completed a master's at Duke, and was awarded a PhD from the University of Virginia. In 2012, he was promoted to associate professor at Rollins College, and in 2013, founded the Global Center for Advanced Studies, and is currently the Chancellor and CEO of GCAS College Dublin. Davis has published books with the MIT Press, Columbia, and Duke University Press. He is the creator and of and co-edits the Insurrections, Critical Studies in Religion, Politics, and Culture series, an academic book series published by Columbia University Press. He currently researches future consciousness, sustainability, and advanced technologies. Creston, welcome and thank you so much for joining us. Well, it's a real pleasure, Jesse, to always do projects with you, to be part of what you're doing in life, and to be part of on the what I would say on the positive side of how we live, and uh, so it's a real pleasure. Thank you so much, and how's things in Santa Barbara for you today? You know, it's been it's been really warm here. It looks like the exact opposite of where you are with the fireplace. It's been extremely warm, and this last weekend was the, the kind of warm where even when you're sitting around in your underwear with a fan on, it's still too hot. Wow, that's, yeah, that's a little, that pushes the boundaries yeah. a little bit. Right, yeah. And here in France, I'm, I'm on the college that uh, I started, I helped start uh, GCAS, the Global Center for Advanced Studies. We have a farm here in France and uh, we grow crops and, uh, and it's just beautiful. Uh, it was a bit chilly the last two days with some rain, but we, the rain is good because we're, we're putting in some seedlings and some plants, some carrots, some cauliflower. And so it, it's pretty cool here. Um, and in terms of this, the social distancing and isolation, we've been able to, there's a few uh, folks here who are writing their dissertations and in researching and reading, and it's a really nice setup. And so it doesn't really feel like we're quarantining uh, here because there's so much going on. We even have a stray cat that came in, Simon, or Simon, I should say, in the French, Simon. And uh, <laughs> Simon's just been a cuddle and um, even even got a mouse yesterday was showing off his mouse that he caught in the outside and brought it up to the door it was like hey look what i did aren't i a good cat it was really exciting so yes it's pretty good here so far i am a bit you know obviously we're all worried about things going on in you know the pandemic you know what what who can we trust you know sources of trusting authority you know, how do we, how do we understand our condition and you doing a project like this, you know, each day talking to different people has been just such a staple, a pillar for me and even others in, in my, in my academic community, the college, um, in terms of just, you know, tr- understanding and getting some messages of hope, optimism, and also just, you know, figuring out ways that we can connect with each other, even while we're disconnected. You know, I, I so appreciate that, Creston, and I have to mention real quick, I saw a article last week 
and it was out of one, of the, I think it was an Eastern European country where they were saying that people who have cats with them during the coronavirus seem to be faring, faring better than ones that don't. It's not peer reviewed, it's not science-based or anything yet, but it's a, it was an observational, observational yeah. right. And it was really, it was really well done because it talked about just how great cats can be through this whole thing and, and, and how, you know, boosting our immune system, being happier and feeling more joy and everything else. Absolutely. You know, I'm really a dog person. Um, but this, you know, when, when a cat strays in and, you know, you start to feed her some, some of the herring out of the can and she sticks around, you know, kills a mouse. Okay. Sorry if you're upset at that, but you know, it's just a, you know, she or he, it's a he, but I don't know why I call her a she sometimes, <laughs> but he crawled into bed with me and uh, purred. And, you know, there is a scientific study actually, Jesse, that you, you were talking about with cats, that if you pet animals, there's like endorphins that are released and there's actually a therapeutic uh, exercise you know, to be around an animal, pet an animal, and show care and compassion. And I think that's the wow. case for any kind of compassion and sharing or intimacy that we, that we can do and connect with. So, yeah. Yeah. But I, I do want to mention, Jesse, if you don't mind, that um, it's been just, just for everybody to know that Jesse and I met a couple years ago, like 2017, and I was actually in Croatia at the time. And, you know, I, I looked at what you were doing, Jesse, and how you were doing it. And I knew I had to reach out to you. And I don't know why, but I, I, we, we swapped some emails. I shared with you the college, you know, what the difference, the different kind of model that we put together. And you, you enjoyed listening to that and got more and more involved. And now are sort of heading up the mentor program for our bachelor students. And, uh, and you're part of that. You're even an investor. And that's just been incredible to work with you on a number of different levels, spiritual level to sort of life inspirational levels, but also just on the level of like building something really important for our young people today. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, Kristen, absolutely. You know, I think it's really, it's really incredible what you've done. And I think that it's, it's something worth noting because in the U.S., you know, one of the ongoing dis discussions that you'll hear in the in the public sphere is college college tuition, how it's high and student debt and how it's so high that people can't get past it. I know my alma mater, which is the University of California, Santa Barbara, I think the fees have quadrupled or something like that in the last several last number of years since I graduated. And it's it's it is, it's going to be one of those things where like the, the cost is so high for students and it's so challenging for them to get out, especially when the average college student is exiting with a, a what, 30 to $40,000 a year job, right? And it's so great that to see that you're creating an alternative for that where students can go and, and why don't you just maybe take a moment to just kind of highlight that because I think a lot of people don't know about GCAS and about the educational educational opportunities it affords. And I want people to see part of what the Handful of Hope is, and is mm -hmm. that there are alternatives out there than the way things have done. And I think that's thematic. It's really important because, you know, 
people will talk about going back to normal, but there's not going to be a, a, the normal that we knew before is not going to be the same. And one of the great things that can come from a time of change and disruption like this is it can really get us to stop and take inventory on who and what matters most, what we want our life or careers or educational pursuits to look like. And I think that, and as Kristen said, you know, I, I have invested in GCAS, so this is a full disclosure. This isn't anyway encouraging you to do that. I just, we wanna be transparent. And I think it's important to bring this information because a lot of people don't realize that these opportunities are out there and available. So Kristen, why don't you just go ahead and, and talk a little bit about GCAS and what, what you've created what it can do for people who are pursuing higher education. Thank you, Jesse, for that and the opportunity to speak about the project that we're, that we're doing. GCAS is an acronym for the Global Center for Advanced Studies. And I'll share with you a story. When I was growing up, I grew up, as you mentioned, a poor working class family uh, or domestic environment where you know, I was always told I was dumb, stupid. I was very physical and athletic, so I excelled in that realm. Um, but in, in school, it just bored me. And, you know, it turns out I couldn't get into college because I, I barely passed high school, 1.89 GPA. I mean, it was like you had to beg the principal, please let me graduate. And, uh, and I went into the military because the alternative was to work in a factory. And I just... I just needed to get out. So I went in the military for four years and I was assigned to a, an airborne reconnaissance unit, the long range surveillance detachment. We were actually based in Hawaii. Well, one, after being, making it onto a, an elite team and going through ranger indoctrination program, the, um, you know, we were doing some exercises, airborne exercises, jumping out of Blackhawks. And we were jumping in high winds and, Anyway, what ended up happening is that I, uh, my, my chute didn't fully deploy, it got twisted up and I kind of burned in. Um, others thought I maybe had, you know, you know, something really wrong happened. And anyway, I recovered in the hospital and I remember the physician coming to me and telling me, you better do something else with your life because you might not be able to run again. And that changed my whole outlook. And I asked the nurse for a dictionary and a book. And I started to read for the first time in my life. And it turns out I had dyslexia and everything, all these, the knowledge that I was acquiring and the power of words and of understanding. I didn't even know, for example, what history meant, like that there were events in the past that led up to and triggered other events. Yeah, I didn't even know how to frame that in my mind. And so it turns out that this amazing sense of empowerment came to me through reading and through understanding knowledge and history and ideas. And, you know, from that point on, I really wanted to share or provide an ability to, for others in a similar position I was growing up in, was always told, you're not good enough, you're stupid, you can't succeed. And, you know, my life is sort of lived in a way that wants to create an atmosphere in which people who might not have that confidence because they've been told by the, the school system or they've been told by authorities in their life that they're not good enough. And I, I want to release that, that burden on their, on their lives through a college. And, you know, I went off, did my PhD. 
became, you know, worked at Rollins College for a couple, for six years, was promoted to an associate professor, wrote books with MIT and, 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 other, and other publishers. And, you know, in the end, doing, working inside higher education in the United States, it became really clear to me, as good as Rollins College is, um, it became really clear to me that systematically, so it's not a reflection on Rollins or any one particular place, but systematically how education that's designed to free us up, to alleviate the suffering of ignorance. And when you're ignorant, you do suffer because you don't know how to make good decisions for yourself, for your family, for others around you. And so to alleviate that suffering of ignorance and you know, I, I can always learn. One of the great philosophers in the tradition of Socrates, uh, as you are aware, um, you know, his insight of wisdom was always acknowledging that he didn't know everything. Hmm. You know, that what he did know was he didn't know everything. And if we have that posture of humility, that, you know, the, the brain synapses are opened up for us to understand and to grow in confidence, knowing that your you know, in knowledge or epistemic situation is always in need of understanding more, but also to filter out what is junk from what is healthy. And I think that that's what you do in your life is you, you're there to help others be able to filter out those voices of pessimism, those voices that say to you, you're not good enough, don't get out of bed, it's not worth it. And you've been a beacon of light to many people that that uh that i know and it's just been incredible to work with you and so we designed a college that uh is debt free and it, it allows it's top people in the world lady gaga's taught a course for us uh, oliver stone pulitzer prize winners and just being able to bring together a community that's in 10 centers now across the world on all on six continents, we're launching our Jakarta Center uh, in a couple weeks. And just being able to connect across cultures in a way that builds solidarity about understanding how we can improve our lives together, rather than it being, oh, I want an education and going into debt, and it's all you, you, you. you know, so building those networks of solidarity across cultures has been such a beautiful, project to be part of i'm humbled by it of course i you know i okay i might have taken out my retirement to kickstart this but you know it's a community like amazing people come into your lives um you know uh, people that are incredibly smart and intelligent but don't have the means of getting an education like we're about to bring on another student from uganda who has no ability economically to ever be part of a high quality education of a PhD program, but she, she worked for her master's degree and it took her 18 years to get her master's wow. degree. She's super smart. And so what she brings to what we're doing is absolutely incredible. It's a celebration. Um, so yeah, it's been an incredible uh, opportunity and I'm so glad you're part of this, Jesse. It's amazing. Preston, there's a, there's a little bit there. There's a few things that I wanna, I wanna cover First of all, when you were when you were jumping out of the the Black Hawk, how old were you? 
I was 20 years old. So you're 20 years old and you end up in the hospital. You've never really picked up a book that much. You haven't really gone into history. So I want to just acknowledge that because a lot of times people will say, it's too late for me. You know, it's, I can't teach an old dog new tricks. And I, I, I think that's really important to remember because you've arisen to this educational height, but you started so late. It, it reminds me, I've been, I haven't been able to watch it yet because I don't have cable television, but I've been waiting for the, there's a documentary right now on the Chicago Bulls in the 90s called The Last Dance that's been going around. And I was such a huge Bulls fan as a kid watching that. And, and I've been seeing little clips of it. And one of the clips that came up or that I saw was somebody was talking about Dennis Rodman, who was the very famous flamboyant, had the colorful hair, all the piercings, tattoos, which was unheard of back then. And he was, you know, going down as probably one of the greatest defenders, rebounders. But he didn't even start playing basketball until he was in his 20s, his late teens, early 20s. And I, I think that's so important for people to remember is because whether it's heights of athletics playing in probably the greatest basketball dynasty of all time heights of education you know falling down from the sky 20 years old that it's never too late to begin something new and i think this is really pertinent for right now because as we exit what was and we try to transition to whatever the new normal becomes a lot of us may be thinking of starting something new and I hope that you're really taking this to heart that it doesn't matter where you are age wise, because you could say, well, they were 20 something. They were still young. It doesn't matter. They still lost, you know, at 2022, you've still lost 10, 15 years of athletic development as your competitors. You still lost 10 to 15 years of educational development as your competitors. It's never too late to start. If there's something in your heart, the second piece of that I want to look at Creston is, when you're in the hospital bed and they come and say, you know, you might want to think of something else. You have choices available to you. What was it? What thought went through your head that made you choose to pick up the dictionary and start reading? It was fear. I, I actually was in uh, the fear of not being able to join my team again and make a living in the military using my physical attributes. And so but if I, was, if I was going to be locked into that fear and let that fear conquer me, then, then there was, there, it would be a spiral in, you know, and so, but the thought was really, if I can't get by in life with my body, then how am I going to survive? So it was a real survival, like, you know, you hear, hear the fight or flight survival yeah. thing. It was a trigger moment. And, uh, and it was scary, but you know, it turns out that really amazing story about this librarian on Schofield Barracks. The, the, uh, and I went in and asked him to recommend a novel. And it turns out that guy, Charles, who I dedicated one of my books to, he actually uh, has a degree, a master's degree in, um, in, uh, identifying and diagnosing learning disabilities and he started talking to me and we you know we got to talking and he was able to diagnose me with dyslexia and so the the thought was i need to do something 
to figure out the rest of my life. I'm 20 years old. It was, it was really, and I, and I mean this absolutely sincerely, it was really the first time I'd read an adult book hmm. ever. Okay. Because growing up in a, in the background I grew up in, it was, it was almost considered not masculine to read. Hmm. Okay. So you know, you, you already have in your mind, you better use your brute force, guns, you know, violence as a way of identifying yourself as a human being, as a man. Hmm. And that's one of the reasons why, you know, you go into the military and you don't just go in the military, you don't go into infantry, you don't go in the 82nd Airborne, you go into the highest level and succeed. But for, again, for me, it was a, a question of trying to figure out the tools. And here's the trick is you, you and your own self can't do it by yourself. You need people like you, people who are positive, who are for you. And oftentimes our family members growing up aren't the positive forces we need. And that's the, the beauty of someone, what, what you're doing is supporting others to build those, those tools of confidence so that they can feel like, again, like the Dennis Rodman, even Jordan didn't make, I don't think he made the high school team in, uh, in high school. He was cut from the high school team. And uh, you hear stories about that all the time. And it's that tenacity and that confidence that you can get by surrounding yourself with people like, again, Plato saying in the Republic, birds of a feather flock together, you know, and it's building those networks of trust and you're one of those beacons of hope and trust and confidence building, Jesse. You certainly have been that for me. Crescent, when you had the, so when you go in and you, they, they diagnose you as being dyslexic <clears throat> and you're, are you recognizing too, not only the dyslexia, so you, you've lived 20 years with dyslexia because there's a lot there I think that's worth unpacking. And, you, and it sounds like there's this, there's this, almost like a confrontation of everything that you were, you know, like really having to make a decision about what you knew couldn't be what you were going to know in a sense of you had been on this trajectory for so long where you had to not be, not be, that's probably horrible phrasing of when I'm talking <laughs> education, you had to be, you know, put education as a back burner. You had to kind of, push reading aside because you need to be the ultra masculine male. You had to achieve, you had to be the best of best because if you didn't, that wasn't being a man. It was probably being like a, a shame to your family, community, whatever that is, right? Those stereotypes. But then all of a sudden you're, so everything is physicality. And then 20 years old, physicality is not going to work no more. So now not only you have a, a choice to make with going and reading, but it sounds like there's going to have to be a separation again from what you knew to what is going to be your knowing going forward. How, how do you make that? Because I think this is so important. I think a lot of people are facing that right now where when they're having their heart to heart conversations with themselves and whether it's the relationship they're in, whether it's the job that they've been in, the career field they've been in, there's a lot of people I've had conversations with who have been working corporate jobs for a long time that they have not been fans of. And they are really looking at it in context of this. And I think one of the gifts of a, this pandemic right now 
is it's gifting us with the opportunity to really confront some of those skeletons we put in the closet. Confront, do I really want to spend the rest of my life working at this job, in this relationship, living my life this way, settling for this substandard level of health, whatever that is. So when you're in that place and you're having that opportunity to confront it, what is it inside of you? Like, what are you saying to yourself that's telling you, you know, how I was raised, how things were, what it means to be a man is no longer going to be able to be accepted as the normal going forward. Yeah. And that, that, that's both, uh, that can be both liberating and stupefying and yeah. terrifying. Uh, and it's a, you know, the ability to work through those tensions pulling in your life from your past, which you don't want to completely throw out, like you throw the baby out with the bathwater. And moving forward as your own self, bringing forth your own uh, gifts and abilities uh, in a way that can flourish. And I think you're right. This paradigm shift that we're experiencing historically is unprecedented in anyone's life who's alive now. Most people who lived through the Great Depression, World War II, are, you know, they, there might be very few of them alive. And so I think the global consciousness is, is facing something very different. And how do we move and shift consciously? How do we move and shift economically, financially? Uh, and these are the questions that are, I think, really exciting, but also, you know, scary. Um, but so being able to develop those tools, like each day having some routines, like I see on your Facebook, you have routines, you go to the beach, I think often, and you know, you, you have, you have your routine, you know, having and connecting and, and dialing in with someone like you to sort of keep us on track to keep, to keep the focus. Yeah. I mean, Part of me like wants to throw away the past. Um, you know, my hometown Hanover is, is um, you know, it, the atmosphere there is like high school football. It's guns. It's men with you know, using fists over words. Um, it's it's women who uh, must you know must go into the household and have babies. It's you know these were the typical stereotypes that at least existed when I was growing up. And I think with the paradigm shift like we're experiencing globally, we can start to unpack and not be determined by these stereotypes in the past, mm. these paradigms in the past, and opening ourselves up to learning interesting things that we might not like, but sifting through it and, and, and figuring out like how your own skill sets can be developed. Rather than going through the corporate, the, the, you know, the corporate ladder, buying that house in suburbia, having the two-car garage, it, that might not be, and it probably isn't the future for us. The future would be more like, how do we develop sustainability, resilience as a community, as, a, as human beings across, across our differences? You know, something you just said there, and I even I wrote it down as a note because I think it's such an important little snippet, is learning what we don't like. I, I think how freeing and how liberating to take that play off that word you're using, how liberating all of our lives could become if we dove in a little bit about what we don't like, because there's so much, I feel like there's become such a, 
a, a polarity out there in terms of how we go, where it's black or white. I'm, I'm right, you're wrong, right? And there's no in-between. You believe this, it's wrong. It, you know, it, it amazes me still that in this day and age that we think that we're going to create we're going to create policy sway or sway somebody's opinions by telling them that they're wrong, which is roughly translated to our caveman like brain. You're stupid. You're idiot. You're not worthy. You're not lovable. And it just taps in on all those deeper emotional fears that we all have. But what would it look like if we all began to say, you know, what? rather than just holding someone hostage at them being wrong. And this could be, this is applicable from our basic familial familial relationships to the bigger global political things that we argue and bicker about all the time. What would it happen if instead I looked at what I don't like and I look at the stuff that gets me fired up, gets me upset. And I said, instead of deciding that what's wrong or right, I decided to try to understand, you know, if I looked at what I don't like as a messenger for a place to learn compassion and understanding. It doesn't mean I start to believe it. It doesn't mean I choose to, I change my opinion or my belief system around it. But what it may allow for is it may allow for me to hold some grace and compassion. And then in so doing, it frees me from the stress, anxiety, animosity, fear, all those things, anger, that those things that I do not like really ignites inside of me. Wow, yeah, I love how you can weave that through and and uh, and present that absolutely. I mean, I think such a in, again in times like these where you go back to your basics, like what are we as a as human beings together on this? Well, essentially, this planet's in outer space, and by the way, we don't even know the end limits of our of our universe or our universe yes but of the cosmos it's so expansive that you the human brains all the human brain cells put together can't imagine it and if we if we can approach life from the perspective of unknowing the infinite unknowing the absolute truth of of um that we can use as a weapon against somebody if we can approach life humbly as we're in this together, you know, the, with the climate, the environmental issues, we're going to have to figure out how to work together. Then you go back to those basic principles, like you were mentioning, compassion. You can be wrong and it's okay. You can fail and fail again. And it's okay that it's not, it's not an either or. And I think our, the way we're raised with the, our economy of climbing the social ladder, which more and more is increasingly difficult uh, or impossible, that we have to figure out a way of understanding the basic principles of connection and understanding that somebody can say to you something you disagree with, and it's not going to trigger your caveman-like mentality where you, you have to grab the club mentally or physically in order to respond. And I, you know, I have to work on this every day because, you know, when somebody tells me I'm wrong or is critical, uh, I, I immediately have that trigger response. So I think, you know, learning those tools of, of I think, neutralizing the trigger responses um, 
can actually help us develop in, and help our relationships yeah. grow stronger. But that takes time, you know, and it, 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 it's scary. It is really hard. I, I was listening to a podcast yesterday and it's uh, Ed, Ed Milet's podcast. And I really appreciate some of his interviews. And he had Alex Rodriguez on. And I'm, I'm going to butcher this. So I encourage everybody to watch it and listen to it for your own edification. But he was asking Rodriguez about dealing with criticism, you know, dealing with the hostility that people will sometimes keep on. And, and Alex Rodriguez, A-Rod, has one of the best responses I've ever heard. He's all, oh, man, he's all, I have a, what do you say? I have a PhD. I have a PhD in being criticized and booed and a master's in picking myself back up after failure. And in the, in the promo videos, the promo material they show for it, there's a picture of Alex Rodriguez on the baseball field. He was a really famous baseball player for the New York Yankees. Many argue about one of the greatest of all time. And there's fans, middle fingers right in his face. He was very polarizing. A lot of people love to boo him. He's one of those ones people just love to hate. And he was saying that what he did is he reframed it and every time he would hear it, rather than being triggered or upset about it, he started to use it as an opportunity to look within and find what is that next level within himself that he needs to do to kick into to prove those people wrong. And it's really interesting listening to that because if you consider that, that psychology, and if he's taking that now, he's been retired for I don't know how many years from baseball, in a way, he's probably still doing that because him reinventing himself, him being an athlete, him being as articulate as he was, right? As, a, as somebody who knows virtually nothing about his career, I know the name. My stereotype, my judgment would be that he wouldn't be as articulate. He wouldn't have that right away. But wouldn't that be me heaping that criticism, that judgment on him, and then him literally taking that, looking at what he doesn't like, going within, and saying, how can I prove this doubter wrong and turning it into something else, which it, it totally worked on me. I spent 30 minutes of time yesterday and today, like just researching and reading and looking at some of his recent stuff. And I was blown away, absolutely blown away. And I think that, yeah, there's, there's, there's something we're going to really look at. Like, what if we took this time to really look at those things we don't like? Crescent, I wanna, I just wanna close up because you keep coming back to community and we just have a minute or two left. I, I, I've only seen you as someone who has a pretty good vision of anticipating needs for the future. And I'm wondering in the concept of community, I, I love that you keep coming back to that as we coming together about you know, people who are going through and recognizing maybe their family's not it to finding those extra sources of influence for them, positive influences. What hope can you hold for us as a global community to emerge from this? If you could paint the, the best picture perfect scenario, what does that look like and how do we get there? Wow, that's an amazing question, Jesse. Challenging. But as you say, we have about a minute left. You know, I actually think that as human beings, we are we we have divine possibilities we have we we can see with the right eyes and the right perspective we can see miracles every day the the feeling of the air going into your lungs that's a miracle 
being able to see beauty in colors or to hear music or to feel the touch of someone else. These are miracles. This isn't part of the, of the standard scientific understanding of the world that is just simply survival for survival's sake. Hmm. And I think that our hope then lies in our ability to appreciate this really small things and to form around those small things, to pay attention, to let those small miracles turn your life into a miracle and then turn others into a miracle. And I, honestly, I think that there is a lot of hope. You know, we are under a lot of challenges, but that's what makes us great. Humanity has always survived and we will continue to survive. And we will figure that out. So my hope is in the small miracles. The name of this farm is called Le Caillou. It means the small pebble. But from the smallest of things, a grain of seed, mustard seed, can turn into this flourishing tree, 10,000, 100,000 fold. So we, if we focus on the miracle of each other, believing in each other and giving them just that little extra help, support, the world changes in an instant. I love that. Everyone, you're going to want to watch and re-listen. I think that there is so much here to digest and break down. I love that it's the the great things come from the small beginnings. You know, if you if you look at this whole conversation as one big massive metaphor, you can see and draw parallels to how the conversation may relate to your your present situation. Many of us, when this whole thing happened, and at the time of this recording, it's April 28th, and we're still in the middle of the coronavirus global pandemic. Many of us have been on lockdown, shelter in place quarantine for a number of weeks, even months. And for some of us, when this first started, it may have felt like, you know, jumping out of the helicopter and the parachute's not working. Literally that, oh, you know what moment of what are we going to do only to land and find that the things that we've always known are no longer going to be acceptable anymore. Recognizing that then in that moment, we may have had that voice. We may not have had the military doctor, but someone come to us and say, you know, you may have to choose a different path. You may have to try something different. Some of us have been laid off from jobs that we've loved. Some of us have lost major contracts that we're keeping us afloat. Some of us may have an entire industry that we've been a part of for the last 20, 30 years. It seems to be shut down and gone because of this. And we find ourselves feeling like we're in that metaphorical hospital bed with somebody telling us, hey, the thing that you've lived your whole life believing that was going to be your life isn't going to be the same anymore. This is important to remember because it's, we have a choice. Do we reach for the dictionary or do we reach for something else? And what we choose to reach for is going to be what we start to fill our mind. It's those mustard seeds that Creston just started talking about. It's those mustard seeds that we're going to start planting. And you want to be really conscious about this. What do you want to plant? Where do you want to grow during this time? What an incredible opportunity to look at those things that you don't like and perhaps invite yourself to some growth there. Remember that whether you're a 20-year-old who's been raised in a super stereotypical what it means to be a man and not reading, not being educated, or you're the 20-year-old Dennis Rodman who's never picked up a basketball before, it's never too late to start something new. It's never too late to get out of here and get more into here and really honor the courage that's in your heart to, to venture down a path. So many of us feel like we've, we've, we've crash landed because our parachute failed us. 
But what if, just what if the parachute didn't fail us, but what if it delivered us to the next opportunity? The opportunity that we were really born here for, the opportunity that we were really, whether you believe in God, universe, spirituality, whatever it is, what if that parachute didn't open because it was delivering you to the opportunity because you were the seed that was planted so long ago and it's finally time for you to start to bloom and the world to begin to harvest the magic that is you. Crescent, this has been an absolutely incredible conversation, my friend. Thank you so much for being here, for sharing, for joining us all the way over from France. I certainly appreciate you. This has been an absolute blessing. Thank you. Thank you, Jesse. Absolutely. We'll see you next time, everybody, in another edition Bye. of A Handful of Hope. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening. If you're finding value in these conversations, please rate and review on Apple, Google, Stitcher, or wherever your favorite place is to listen to